This is a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek, where we welcome priests from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana to tell us their vocation stories. We are so grateful to and thankful for our priests as they serve us and bring us the sacraments daily. Before we introduce today's special guest priest, we'd like to pray for you, Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. This is Gordon Smith, and you're listening to the Sons of Melchizedek show. This is a show about vocations, and today we're interviewing Father Clayton Thompson. Welcome, Father Thompson. Gordon, thanks for having me today. And one of the things I always ask my uh, priests that I interview is, how do you prefer to be called um, or named? Is it Father Clayton or Father Thompson? Yeah, typically I go by my, my first name, Father Clayton. Okay, well, welcome, Father Clayton. Father Clayton is uh, at Our Lady of Grace in Noblesville in the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana. How long have you been here, Father? So I've been here for just over two years. And before that, where were you assigned? So this is actually my fifth assignment. Uh, my first wow. assignment was, yeah, a num number of assignments in just under 10 years. My first assignment was up in uh, Lafayette, St. Boniface Parish up there, then moved over to All Saints in Logansport. And from there, I became the pastor of St. Joseph in Delphi. And during my last two years in Delphi, I was also the vocations director for the diocese for a couple of years before moving down here to Noblesville. Well, welcome. And you're kind of a homegrown priest here, aren't you? Yeah, I grew up in Carmel and went to Our Lady of Mount Carmel schools through grade school, Carmel High School. And after I graduated from Our Lady of Mount Carmel, my family moved out to St. Maria Goretti in Westfield, which was just established a little bit before that. It was a uh, satellite of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and they were encouraging more families to go out to that school and, and parish at the time. So I remember that time well. I'm sitting here looking at you, and we're going to talk about vocation in just a minute, but you have to be um, 110 pounds in a strong wind. I, I'm kidding, of course, for a radio audience, but uh, you, you told me an interesting fact about yourself, uh, and that was when you were in school, when you went to Our Lady of Mount Carmel and then Carmel High School, what, what, was, your, uh, what was your angle then? So I was I was a football player and and loved a football player loved playing football back then that was that was uh, quite a few pounds ago too so people a lot of times they hear that I played football and and I got the stature for a tight end and so they always guess that maybe I was a tight end and and I always have to tell them that no I was a backside tackle on the offensive line and their jaw oh kind of drops <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on and then I tell them that that was about eighty pounds ago too. Sure. Yeah. You, you wouldn't stand a chance today, not even CYO. <laughs> I think the boys would take you right down. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about growing up and um, what were some of the instrumental times and things that happened in your life or in your family that contributed you to your becoming or wanting to become a seminarian and now a priest? Yeah, so I, I grew up in a, a Catholic family. Mom and dad were both Catholic, and we were one of those families that never missed Mass on Sunday. I, I, think, I think truly, I have never missed a Sunday Mass in my entire life, at least in my, in my living memory. And that was just instilled in us as kids on the second of five. And we were there 
at church every single Sunday. We were going in, getting there before Mass, kneeling down and saying our prayers anytime we ever leaned back to, to, to rest our seats against the, the pew. Dad would jab his finger into our side to, to get us back up and get us praying before Mass. And that's, that was, that was the, the habit and just life when we were growing up. We, we were Catholic. That's what we did. And, and so really, I thank God for the upbringing that I had. When, when I was growing up, I was always Janet's son. My mom, Janet, was, was really involved in a lot of things at, in parish life, both at Our Lady of Mount Carmel, later at St. Maria Goretti. And still is. And still, still, is, and still is very much involved. And so as I was growing up, I was Janet's kid, and, and I found myself at church an awful lot. And I would say one of the most transformative aspects of my childhood growing up was that one of the priests of our parish, later the pastor of St. Maria Goretti, Father Kevin Haynes, became a good family friend. He was over at the house a lot. He would bring ice cream and dinner, and we would watch movies together and hang out and play games. And, and, and he became really a, 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 a staple and a key feature just in our family's life. He, he, was, he was there, and he became a good friend, like I said. And for me became a, a great role model, someone I really looked up to and, and a mentor for me as well. So from a young age, the idea of being a priest was not a foreign idea to me because I had a, a great human relationship with a great priest. Sure, and, and probably developed a, a, a like for Italian food at the same time. And he makes good Italian food. Well, that is a great story, and when you were, you may have been Janet's son and Frank's son, but you also, uh, I talked to somebody before this interview and said, watching you grow up, you were that guy that was the most mature and focused in the entire room. You walked into a room, if, if Clayton was there, you were very directed, very focused, and very mature, so... Um, you may have been your parents' son, but you are also well on your way at the time. Yeah, thank you. And I'll tell you what to you, Gordon. Nothing gave me more delight than when I realized after my ordination that now Janet became Father Clayton's mom, <laughs> that the tables had turned a little bit too. But yeah, thank you very much. Well, tell me a little bit about your time when you were in youth group and high school. Did you know that you were going to become a priest at that time, or did you have an inkling, or did you date women, uh, ladies? Um, how, how did that all work out for you? That's a, that's a great question. So as I was growing up, yeah, I was really involved in, in our youth group growing up, and I would say that I started thinking about being a priest when I was about 15 years old. Now, I did not tell a soul about that, and all through high school growing up, I, I had people that would deliberately stop and tell me, Clayton, you should really think about being a priest. I, I think you have the qualities that would make for an amazing priest. And you said, mm, never thought of that. And I said, I thought about that, but I'm really not interested <laughs> in it at all. And and so would go on and, ne and, and you know, Father Kevin, good, good pastor and friend, um, would say the same thing to me. He would mention that to me an awful lot. And, and I would I would always think to myself that that even though I am thinking that I could never admit it. I could never actually tell anyone that that I really did feel that that tug on my heart from God, even from uh, a young age. And so during those years, was was very involved in the youth group, but at the same time, would never have told anyone about the, the thoughts of discernment that were going on in my heart. I see. And as long as we're talking about this, when we talk about a vocation and and a young man. 
that thinks he might have one. It really is it, a th- thought in that young man's head, but it's really a calling from God, right? It's God's plan, that, and not to get too Calvinistic in this whole discussion, but God had this in mind way before you even thought of it, right? And you know, that's the thing. And back when I was a vocations director, it was one of the points that I loved making to people is that, listen, you already have a vocation. It's not about choosing what your vocation is. God has placed that into your being. He created your soul for a particular vocation. This is already something given to you. And so you're exactly right. When I talk about the thought coming up in my mind, it was something, it was something that God had placed there. It was actually me hearing how my soul had been made, how my soul had been made, been made to love. It, it makes me think about uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah talks about hearing that vocation, and he talks about trying to silence that voice that he's hearing within himself. And he says, so I will say, I will not mention him anymore. I won't speak anymore in his name. But then he goes on, he says, there, there is in my heart, though, as it were a burning fire that's shut up in my bones. And, and that that is the experience, I think, of a lot of young men when they hear that call from God, that there is this, this idea planted in their heart and their soul, this call, this voice, drawing them on to a very countercultural type of life, which can be frightening, but they can't shake it. It's in their bones. It's a burning fire in their bones, like Jeremiah says. So when you are baptized, you got that indelible mark. You became Christian, and that indelible mark came back as a, in the form of a vocation call. Now, let's go back a little bit to your education. I want to go back to the football story. You went to University of Dayton, um, a powerhouse in football. No, not. <laughs> um, but you did go there with the idea of playing football. What happened then? Yes, yeah, so I, I was recruited by Dayton to go there and they're, they're D1 AA. And, and so for their, for D1 AA, uh, that, that division, they're not, they're not too bad. They're nothing to, sh- to shake a stick at. Um, but anyway, so I, I went there, I went there to Dayton with the intention of playing football for them. And a couple of weeks before I would have left home and gone out to begin, to begin practices for the season, uh, I thought to myself, you know, there's something that doesn't feel right. And really, I see it as a great grace of God now working in my life and leading me to where I am now. If I had played football that year, then then I, I wouldn't be where I am. I know that for certain. But this idea came in my life that I had just totally lost my passion for the game. I, I didn't want to keep going with the weightlifting and the practice and, and the type of lifestyle that, that, that brought about. And so I, I picked up the phone and I called my coach. I told him what I was thinking. And I said, I think that I'm going to hang up the cleats here. I, I don't think I want to play anymore. So you took a left turn. It, it might have been a right turn. I'm not sure. But you went from Dayton right up the road to Columbus. What what was in Columbus? So Columbus was was college seminary. So there I, I went to Dayton. And, and like I mentioned to you, I was I was really resisting what I, I felt to be a call from God. And so you still hadn't made the, the total commitment yet. No. And and. Even when I was looking into colleges as a senior in high school, I felt God maybe calling me to the seminary, and I, and I beca- became pretty convinced that that really was my vocation and what he wanted. But again, I was at a point in my life where I couldn't accept that, and all I could see was what I would be giving up, everything that I would lose if I followed that. 
And so I went to Dayton that year, and I normally tell people that I majored in running away from seminary when I went there <laughs> because I went there in order to, to have everything that I thought that I would be losing, to, to follow my own will, to do what I wanted, and, and to be able to live the life that I thought that the priesthood would mean sacrificing totally. So you were going to disprove God there, right? Yeah. You're I was going to give it to him. I was going to show him the right way. That's right. And, and I went and within, within two months of, of being there, I realized the depth of the mistake that I had made. And I realized how miserable I had become in just the, those eight weeks worth of time that I had everything that I thought that I wanted. And yet there was this emptiness inside of myself that I, I simply could not fill. And how did you feel that then? You know, so the, the way that it came about is I knew that God had been calling me, and I knew that I had been running away from that. And so there was one night I re- remember so distinctly that I, I walked around and the campus, and I, I got back to my, my dorm room, and Father Kevin and I, we had kept touch during, in touch during that time, and, and the way that we would communicate was via letters. And so he wasn't an, uh, a guy that used email very much, and, and he didn't really have uh, the ability to text or anything, so we would write letters back and forth. And, and I got back to my room that night when I was realizing how miserable I was because I was running away from what God wanted. And I sat down and I wrote him a letter. And in that letter, I, I, I wrote, listen, Father, there is no time more than right now where I have felt God calling me to be a priest. Now, we're going to cut you off right there because we have to take a short break. But when we come back, we're going to find out what the rest of that letter said. This is Gordon Smith, and I'm interviewing Father Clayton Thompson at Our Lady of Grace in Noblesville. An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his story on how Catholic Radio influenced his vocation. I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening to the radio, and I just got to a point where I would prefer to listen to something that would be intellectually stimulating. And um, at the same time, I was learning about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio. Building faith. Building vocations. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to our program, Sons of Melchizedek. This is Gordon Smith, and I'm interviewing Father Clayton Thompson, otherwise known as Father Clayton, to all of his parishioners here at Our Lady of Grace in Noblesville. And Father Clayton was telling us about a time when he was questioning some of his motives and what was happening to him, and he was... Where were you, Father? I was at Dayton at that point. Oh, you were still at Dayton. Dayton. And so you wrote a letter to Father Kevin Haynes at your childhood parish, St. Maria Goretti. And what did that letter say, Father? So again, I I had finished uh, this time, this night, of thinking how miserable I was because I was running away from my vocation and, and got back and started writing this letter. Father, there is no time in my life more than right now that I have felt God calling me to be a priest. And I, I wrote more about that and printed that letter off my computer and put it into an envelope. And I took that envelope and I put it right on my bookshelf. And I said, I am never going to send that to him. I, I, was, so, I was so afraid of embracing this call that God had given to me. And I set it there and it sat there for a couple of days. Again, Father Kevin and I, we, we communicated via letters. And two days later, I got a letter from him. And I opened up the letter and I noticed it was written on the exact same day that I had written my letter. And I started reading through it. And Father had had a pretty terrible day that same day. And he had had a pretty rough, rough night of just pondering and meditating that night. 
because it was right in the wake of the 2002 abuse scandals. And, oh, yeah. and one of his, one of his good friends who was a priest had just been accused and you know, praise God, it turned out that was not a credible accusation, but had just been accused and, and he his heart was so heavy at that point, he decided to sit down and to write me a letter and, and to tell me how much we need good men to be priests. And he said, Clayton, there is no time more than right now that you need to think about being a priest. <laughs> and when I, when I saw in his letter the same line that I had written in my letter, it was such a sign of the hand of God at work that I pulled my letter off my bookshelf, addressed it, dropped it in the mail, and sent it to him. And that was the first time that I had told anyone that I had been thinking about being a priest. And, and he didn't let me forget it. And that's what ultimately led me for my sophomore year of college to enter into college seminary to go up to the Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio. That's a wonderful story. And, you know, you could say that that was providential. You could say that was just random and, and so forth, but in the hand of God. Now we're going to write another letter in, in my mind here. Okay. And so I'm going to take you down a new path. And this is more spiritual and less human related. But I want, I want you to compose a letter right here and now to Jesus. Tell Jesus why you're here and what, what, what's important about why you're here. To say why I'm here, why I'm at this parish, why I'm on earth, why I'm alive. What do you mean, Gordon? I mean uh, why you're a parish priest here now at this time and, uh, and why, why it's important for you as a priest, as a male, as a, a manly man to be in this role at this time. You know, I have this conversation a lot. It'll be an easy one to write. So here it is. Dear Jesus, I have absolutely no idea why you have put me where I am right now, and yet I trust you. And, and I ask you to give me the grace to be faithful to you every day and to hear your voice. And, and I know that if I'm hearing your voice, if I'm doing what you want, if every day I wake up and I look you in the eyes and I hear your will for me, and I try to do that to the best of my ability. And every night I, I, I kneel down in order to pray to you and to review the day. And I can say to you with all of my heart, Lord, I've tried my best to do what you want. I know that you will lead me where you need me to be. And I know that you will lead the people that you've entrusted my, to my care closer to your heart. Amen. I'm going to put an amen on that letter. Now we're going to do another little uh, game here. And this game is not really a game. I'm, I'm don't mean to make light of it at all, but uh, we're going to time travel, and we're going up in time 55 years or so. Poor Father Clayton is not with us anymore. He is not on earth, but there is somebody standing at the foot of his grave at, at, at in front of his tombstone that was highly influenced by him growing up, and that person is saying a prayer for you right now, and wh what do you think that person's going to say about you after you've left this earth. Well, hopefully they'll pray for me and have mercy, Lord, on this guy. He was a sinner like the rest of us, and so I hope that comes out. But, you know, Gordon, one of the things that I love seeing in the images of, of saints, especially like statues uh, of saints, is when the saint has, has his hand pointing upward. And so there's normally St. Francis Xavier, great, great Jesuit and, and missionary. He, he, he evangelized the people of Goa in India, and he died evangelizing Japan. He, anytime you see an image of him, he has a cross in one hand, and he's got his other hand up in the air above his head pointing to heaven. And, and what I would really hope is that, you know, after I've gone, hopefully to my eternal reward, please God, that people will be able to say, he pointed us to God, that, that in the midst of everything that was going on, his was a voice that always 
turned our eyes and our minds and our hearts upward. And I've heard that one of your favorite saints is, is um, Father John Bosco, and he had a big influence on a lot of youth. Is that a, a, a thing that you want to be also remembered for? You know, John Bosco is so inspiring, I think just because of the way that he would throw himself into the work of God with total abandon. And and to read the stories about his life and, and the way that he trusted totally in the providence of God, I think that's what so much attracted the young people of his day, that he wasn't afraid to be part of their life. He wasn't afraid to, to place themselves in, in a, a position in which he could actually teach them about about God, even though sometimes they would they would reject him, and and so yeah, there there's a a lot of desire to keep leading young people to God and and to keep giving them the tools that they need in order to have an enduring faith in a culture in which it's hard to live that faith. He would roll up his sleeves and get his hands dirty for sure, and he he took on the worst of the worst. But he also was a dreamer, and he had some incredible dreams about the church and what was happening and um, we've our church has gone through some tough times you mentioned something about a, a story about a priest that was accused in 2002 a few minutes ago but there's been a lot of pressure on priests and um, I, I want to always keep priests in our prayers every day because you guys, you guys have a tough job and it's we really love you have devoted your life to your vocation so thank you for your vocation Thank you for everything you do, and especially performing the miracle every single day for us of the Eucharist. Yeah. So, thank you for your prayers. Oh, we, we do pray for you. We, we love our priests, and we want to support you every way we can. How can we support you? What, what, what are some things that your parishioners here could do or maybe not do to help you out? You know, as a pastor, I think, and in, in this answer, I think, has developed in the years that I've been a priest as well. As a pastor, I think one of the greatest things that uh, a parish can do is to trust in God. And, and here's what I mean by that. I mentioned in, in the prayer that you had me, or the letter that you had me write just a little earlier here when I was talking to Jesus, um, telling him, Lord, I have no idea why you have me where I am right now. The, the providence of God is truly marvelous. And, and if, if I ever had my way, in terms of my assignments, I would not be where I am, and I would be much less for it too. That the Lord has always placed me in, somewhere in parishes where there there is some way that He wants to use use me as His instrument in order to accomplish something that perhaps no one else could do in the same way. And so that that conviction has really filled my mind and my heart that the Lord has me here, and I need to keep my, my eyes on that supernatural reason that, that he has me here for a purpose. Now, on the side of parishioners, it, it, it's, so, it's so easy to, to have a, a priest and, and maybe to decide, ah, you don't like him, or maybe he doesn't move you like another, another priest did, or, or maybe you know, your personalities just, just don't jive. And so, I think one of the greatest things that, that parishioners can do for their priest, for me, for, for other priests, wherever you are, is to trust that God has this man in your parish for a reason, that, that it's not outside of the providence of God, that Father, whoever, is with you in this parish, and, and to trust that he has you in this parish with this priest at this time for some reason too, and, and he wants to work through this priest in your life. And so I think the best thing parishioners can, can do is cooperate, 
cooperate with what's going on. We had a great example of that here at Our Lady of Grace earlier this year. Uh, one of the things that I'm incredibly passionate about is uh, doing Marian consecrations. I, I, I believe wholeheartedly in the power that Our Lady has to transform people's souls. And, and I know that because I experienced it in my own life. Having Our Lady enter into my life in a very powerful way has totally transformed my relationship with God. It's transformed my ministry as a priest as well. So anyway, we did this Marian consecration here, and, and we set what we thought was an incredibly ambitious goal. We wanted to have 300 people here at our parish. We have about 1,600 families. We wanted 300 people to participate in this Marian consecration. So we promoted it knowing that it was probably a little ambitious and we probably weren't going to make it. But to see the way that people cooperated with it, the way that people responded to those invitations was so powerful and beautiful to me. By the time we started our consecration, we had 440 people who had registered and who participated in this. And, and it's doing amazing things. It's transforming people's lives. It's transforming the life of our parish. Amen. Amen. That sounds wonderful. And as long as we're talking about Mary, what what are influences that Mary had when you were growing up? Should have asked you that earlier, but did you do a lot of rosary praying when you were growing up? You know, I, I would say that as I was growing up, I did not have a really strong personal devotion to Mary. Even, even as I was going through the seminary, as my devotion to her grew, the the reality is that I had a very um, heady understanding of who Mary was, a very intellectual idea of who Mary was in terms of being uh, the chosen instrument of God, in terms of being the sinless mother of Christ, in terms of being one who said yes to God perfectly. And, and I admired her for that. And I knew that she could pray for me as well. One of the things that I discovered late, later on in my seminary career, and, and then especially as a priest, is how active Mary is bringing the grace of Christ to people's souls. And so especially as a priest, to have her as my collaborator, to, to go to her when I'm dealing with um, maybe uh, someone who's really suffering and I'm trying to give them some hope and some light, to go to her when there is a problem at the parish that we need to find a solution to. I'm finding how effective she is in bringing the grace of God to those situations and, and bringing about a resolution that is beyond my wildest imagining. Well, as Mary said once, do whatever he tells you, right? That's it, amen. Do you have a favorite sacrament that you like to confer? What, how does that work for you? Yeah, I, th I would say it, it comes and goes a little bit. I, I would say the sacrament that I'm really enjoying right now conferring, or at least is probably maybe the most spiritually profound for, for me these days, is giving the anointing of the sick, especially to, to those who are dying. Oh, how and, nice. Yeah, and to see the way that the Holy Spirit enters enters through that sacrament into that soul in order to give to give peace and calm and, and to, to elevate the, their, their hearts and their minds to God, it has been particularly powerful recently. Wonderful. Well, today we've been interviewing Father Clayton Thompson of the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana. He is stationed currently at Our Lady of Grace in Noblesville. I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your yes to God's calling and becoming a priest. So thank you, Father Clayton. Thank you, Gordon, for having me. God bless you. You've been listening to a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek. Join us again next time when we'll feature another priest from the area.
If you are interested in having your priest appear on this show, please contact us at Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 